All right, we're on. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be starting a new and experimental series we call Philosophy Friday, where we talk about specific topics concerning the business of free-to-play games. And by the way, the definition of philosophy is, quote, the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, according to the Oxford Dictionary. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the fundamental nature of the business of free-to-play games. And what we're going to talk about today is a topic that I think both Brett and I, in particular, are pretty well-suited to talk about, and that is what makes a great product manager. And if I'm being honest, I actually do think there's a lot of bad product managers out there just, just keeping it real. So I thought this would be a good topic to start this series off of. And uh, your host, myself, Joseph Kim, Brett Novak. And just to like establish a little bit of our credentials so you, you don't think that we're just a couple of yahoos talking about product management. So for me, I'm currently the CEO of a, a startup working on a new kind of shooter game. But before that, I was um, SVP at NBC Universal, leading the game publishing group there. Also chief product officer at Sega for the Western Games Mobile Division. But biggest success came from actually zero to one launching a new game product at FunPlus, uh, uh, led the overall development, was the overall lead on King of Avalon, uh, which became a top grossing game, helped propel uh, FunPlus with reskins like you know, Guns of Glory, State of Survival, to become the number one publisher in, in 4X. So know a little bit, you know, headed product there, know a little bit about product management, just to, just to flex a little bit. <laughs> that but, was uh, a serious flex. <laughs> <laughs> But then Brett, uh, CEO of Liquid and Grit. But Brett, I mean, you've got you've got some serious flex as well. So, and actually, interestingly, and you know, we may talk about this concept, the Peter Thiel concept of zero to one versus one to end. But um, you know, this is a great kind of I, I think balance between getting different perspectives on PM as well. But Brett, if you could go over your background for the audience. Well, as you mentioned, I am the CEO and founder of Liquid and Grit. So we work with a lot of companies in mobile gaming, many, if not most of the top grossing companies in the world. Before I started this company, which helps product managers, I was director of product at Blue Shell Games, which I managed a team of product managers and the top, top grossing social casino app. But prior to that, I was lead product manager of revenue on Zynga and specifically on Zynga Poker. And back then we had we had something like 16 product managers on Zynga Poker. So <laughs> I think I, it was a lot of product management stuff going on on that team for good reason. We managed 22% of the revenue of the company, which was obviously a, a public company and it still is. So a lot of product management stuff going on then. And then prior to that, I was at business school at Dartmouth, Dartmouth Tuck. I learned some leadership and product stuff as well there. And uh, so that's my flex for product management. All right. So I thought we could open it up. And if you're an experienced product manager, don't click out now. But we're going to start with something that's kind of a basic and fundamental question, but also important in the context of some of the other things we're going to talk about later later on in this discussion. But wants to start off with what do you what do you think a PM should do? And this can mean different things at different companies, but in terms of Brett, your perspectives as far as responsibilities of a PM, what what does that look like for you? Well, the first thing I want to establish before I define it is that 
I'm gonna make an well, I'm gonna make a statement that I'm basing my response on the assumption that the main purpose of product development is to make money, and I added in an ethical and positive means, right? I mean, we're gonna make the assumption, and I that think doesn't it, always I think, happen. <laughs> that doesn't make always happen, but I think if you're looking at long-term revenue growth, that 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 is should be implied. But I'm sure. just adding it. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think. The three main things for a product manager to do is the first is to help the team make better economic decisions. So in other words, really be the voice of profitability of a business. And uh, one quote I pulled from a book I love is, while you may ignore economics, it won't ignore you. And I think that's a perfect way of summarizing that you need to have somebody that is a voice of profitability of revenue of money and and improving those numbers the second is to create a single cohesive vision of the product and this could be your vision it could be someone else's vision and i i want to clarify that because i think when i say things like that it's like oh the pm running the show it doesn't not necessarily have to be the vision of the pm it's just that the, the pm <clears throat> has to make sure that there is a cohesive clear vision of the product so that everyone can work off of that. And the third is to help improve the flow of production. And this is where you get into really the people management, the ideally the standardization of repeatable processes, the motivation of the team, the up, all the other little things that help basically get products out to make money. All right. So those are the three. All right. And so from my perspective and just to be clear to the audience, like, you know, Brett and I aren't going to agree on everything and we might have slightly different perspectives because, you know, like, as I mentioned, like a lot of my experience comes from like that zero to one, trying to create a new product perspective. But like, um, I actually agree with everything that Brett has suggested, but like for me, a little bit, a little, maybe a little bit of, of nuance from my experience is also just kind of like understanding the key basis of competition in the market for you, right? And so in, in, in some cases, if you've already have a product that has achieved product market fit and you're turning the crank, that's a little bit less important. But if you're trying to do something new, I think it is really, really important to understand like the macro operating environment in which you're executing against and then really understanding what's going to make a difference. What is going to allow this product to be successful or not? So then... That means understanding, it, there's a lot of nuance in terms of understanding situational context. How is this situation different from another situation? Can I, you know, am I just going to use my hammer that I've used on these five other games or do I bring in the wrench, right? And so like for, for me, for a product manager, it really is about understanding, again, the key basis of competition. As Brett mentioned, completely agree. Then against that specific strategy, understanding how do you create like aligning different teams in such a way that you're able to get like a hundred percent solution, right? Because in some cases, if you have 90% of the solution, but you're missing that 10%, well, you might be fucked. So then how do you like get where, where's that? What are the key things that are going to make a difference or not? That's another thing, the key base of the competition. And then being able to align resources and get shit together so that you can execute against the product vision in a successful way. And so like in that way, especially for like a zero to one product manager, like what you are good at or where you focus your time or how you structure your team 
could ultimately be a little bit different depending on your situation. You might have a super strong game designer, but a really shitty artist. You might have, you know, like there's different things that may happen. And especially for zero to one, it's like, how do I take what I have, the tools that I have, and then deliver on a successful product vision? And by and large, not everyone's going to be, you know, funded by, you know, fucking, you know, the best venture company and have enough capital and have like a superstar team. You're not going to have like a Netflix or Tesla team. And so then it's about how do I succeed with the shit that I got? Right. And so that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of in, 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 in my view, that part, but understanding product, understanding design, you know, potentially leading product development, including engineering. Now there's different team structures and maybe we can go into that or not. Owning the PL, creating quantitative models, determining feature and content roadmap, a bunch of these things. Absolutely. Yes. All that kind of stuff. But, you know, ultimately, and I, I think this underscores Brett's point, how do you deliver a successful product, meaning a profitable and growing business? So that's my, sorry, long-winded view, but that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of my view on that. Yeah. Um, and then maybe, maybe like the next question or discussion point to talk about would be, you know, in your experience, Brett, what, what about the specific skills? So like if you're trying to build, build up your skills as a PM, what are some of the things that, PM should be aware of or should be working on to become a better PM of, over their career? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think I'm going to keep on stressing this, mm -hmm. but I think the economics of product development is really, really important. And I, yes. I stress that because I feel like that's the skill that's slipping the most in product management. And because okay. of that, I think product managers more broadly are more like what I would consider a producer. And that is bringing down the value of product managers. And one of the reasons why I don't like that is because at the time my salary was based on product management, but uh, I'm going to stress that. And I think people may be wondering, well, what do I mean by that? And I, I think the best metaphor is if you're playing poker and you're a professional poker player, there's obviously a, a, a lot of different nuances to being a great poker player, but one of them is knowing the odds of what your hand creates and what is what is how it changes in the course of a a poker hand, right? Pre-flop, post-flop, and that is what a great product manager from an economic value standpoint can do. They can look at the product process, whether it be testing or spec design or delaying or iterating, all these different variables, all the economic objectives, which we can talk about in more detail. And they can help improve that so that the company is more likely to succeed. And again, success being defined as what I said earlier, as being profitable in an ethical and positive way. And, and that's really probably the first thing. I think the second thing that I used to always tell new product managers is that the heart of product, of being a product manager is really that spec, that clear definition of what the product is gonna be. It's, it, it just makes everybody 
and it doesn't have to be written. I know you have different ways of doing it. We could go down. We can go down that rabbit hole at some point. But it's bringing, it's sitting down and clearly defining what you're about to build as clearly as it needs to be defined by the culture of the company, right? And different, you know, different companies define it, but whatever the culture may be. And that I always felt like those two components were so important for product managers because product managers generally don't have skills that are really necessary to release a product. Right, you could release a bad product without product management, or you can release a good one without it too. But yeah, you they don't need product managers, and those two were always at the core because you had to establish, hey, you're valuable within the team. Therefore, we're going to keep you in the team. We're going to include you in the team because you're really this this person that gets responsibility without nece- completely necessary skills like engineering or design. Right. And and I think those two are really the most important. I think the third that wasn't emphasized as much in in Zynga, we've talked about this on on uh, our my other podcast is is the people aspect, right? I mean, there are I always say there's spreadsheets and there's people, and man, the people aspect is super important, and and that's a whole third component that you really need to be excellent at to to be great product management and. Not to be long-winded, but the last one, which I think is also super important, it kind of is just like an intangible, is discipline. You got to oh, be yeah. disciplined to like sit down, write specs, do analysis, 100%. Do, do deep thought work, and not just be a project manager, which is someone who just responds to pings, man. And that's, yeah. uh, I, I, I can't stand those those type of PMs who just sit there all day waiting for someone to ask them a question on Slack. Like that, that to me is... That's like where the project manage project managers are, like pro- product managers getting defined as product managers, but really they're project managers. And also the opinion product manager who's just like, oh, I think purple is cool. That, those are like the two worst archetypes yeah. of product management that I can't stand. But anyways. Yeah, no, I totally enough. agree with you on like the discipline part. And I, I mean, I literally just had a conversation with uh, one of the PMs at, in my company where I basically said, the difference between mediocre and great for a PM is discipline. Like without discipline, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and then for me, like the way that I look at this, the, the skills of a product manager, I actually developed a framework many years ago, which I call like the, I just call it like the four P's PM operating system. And by the way, this is way before Scopely suggested they have like a company operating system, but I actually have like a, PM operating system. And the four P stands for like at the top layer, something that I call the practice, meaning the work, things like the tools that you use, like the type of valuation analysis that you use, like understanding the product, customer, things like that. The second P is processes, meaning, you know, like you need to understand the different processes that you are executing against the product. Now, whether that's the product development process, so understanding Agile or Scrum, understanding things like, you know, Brett and I have had uh, previous podcasts where we talked about, you know, how do you how do you hold a meeting? What's an efficient way of holding a meeting? But these kind of processes around communication, meetings, best practice, understanding again situational awareness of applying different processes at different times, and and how do you adapt different processes for, in in different ways? The third is personality, meaning that ultimately, I do think like. For me, to some degree, like the practice and the process is a little bit less important than personality. Because if you as a PM don't have the right personality, 
I think you can never be successful. You could be a little cog, you can make a little impact, but the, the kind of PMs that are needle movers are people who are, so I, I kind of have this, um, what I call the two, two spirit animals for product management. And the first is the bulldog, and the second is a cockroach. And you know what I what I tell you know PMs that I work with is that, like, it's really fucking easy to design a process. Install is a hundred times harder, right? And so when you design a process, not not like, hey guys, here's a new process, here it is, and then and there's like you know three weeks later, nobody's using my process. What the fuck's going? They suck. They're so bad. It's like. Wait a minute, motherfucker, it's your fault, <laughs> right? You can't just design shit and fucking send it out in an email. It's like, oh, nobody's using my fucking process. So that's why, you know, it's important to be the bulldog and the cockroach. You have to like get on people. You have to have the personality to be able to install shit that's going to help the company and the product. And you have to like just be persistent and survive that shit, the cockroach. I think the other thing about personality for a lot of PMs is just, and this is just like a fundamental issue amongst, I would say 99% of people, meaning, yeah, I actually believe that out of a hundred PMs, only one's good, is basically this notion about communication, um, something that I, that, you know, um, that I call rebuking your neighbor, meaning, you know, you see a fault in somebody and, and you know, at, and just to be fair, at some companies, you can't do this because, you know, you got to cover your ass. And, you know, if you criticize somebody, you're, you're like fucked. But in a healthy, in a healthy, good operating environment, if you're working at like Amazon or Tesla or Netflix, you'd be able to say, you know, hey, Bill, hey, Sally, you know, and with, you know, when we say at our company, direct communication with respect that you're able to have a conversation that says, I think you're doing these things wrong for these reasons. And like being able to have that conversation, surprisingly, I would argue 99 out of 100 people literally cannot do, which is why I, su I suggest that actually the majority of PMs are not that great. And then finally, the fourth P underlying all of this is uh, something that I call philosophy which is like, how do you approach different kinds of problems, right? And so, you know, um, and so I have like this collection of different types of, um, you know, like philosophies or beliefs about things, like whether it's, you know, um, and, and I grab these from a lot of different places. So, you know, some people are familiar with the uh, Isaiah Berlin concept, the hedgehog concept or focus, you know, some people are, familiar with, you know, commitment versus involve versus involvement. Uh, there's this, uh, you know, just not to go too deep, but like holism versus reductionism, not having two in a box, you know, um, shit versus a shit sandwich in terms of communication. There's like a whole bunch of different types of philosophies that over a career, you like you as a PM will like see different shit work or not in different companies. And you start to form a, of an opinion and you're, you start to see patterns of ways in which if you operated in this way, in these situations, it will lead you to success. And so for me, that rare PM who has all of this, this operating system, the practice, processes, the personality, and the right philosophies, that is the rare PM 
that can actually make the difference between success or failure in a sort of zero to one new game development product. And so I know I went uh, a little a little long on that, but uh, that, that, that that's kind of my my, my thoughts on that. It, I don't know if you have any any, any thoughts on 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 that, Brett. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great framework. If people want to check it out, I'm looking at it right now, and I okay. think there's it's an it's an it's an awesome way to to think about things. And I I think that it it's obviously very difficult to be able to hit all of these. I think that mm -hmm. you can. And in fact, we this is kind of skipping ahead. But I was I was talking to uh, Tabor about this on our pod, other podcast is that he doesn't have a product manager. I mean, and I, and I'm saying that because you can have a great product manager know what they're great at and not great at, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at this for example, and, and I might see things like process. Oh, I am more process oriented, but maybe I wasn't. And you can fill in gaps, right? Which I think is okay but you need to i make sure that these are getting solved somehow right and right. that goes back to the culture of the company and things like that yeah. what is important as a product manager to really nail and yeah. to develop those other skills if you don't have them because inevitably you want to be able to fill in the blanks and and things like that right um one thing i wanted to bring in since i know we're both kind of uh football buffs but i was watching yeah. a football life nick saban and two things that uh he said in the football life that i took away from that, that i want to mention is one was be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations right, right. so you were talking 100%. about re rebuking your neighbor and this is this is something i've been working on as from as a, um, a personal journey actually of mine for the last probably four months is being better at having difficult conversations because even though I come from like an aggressive background of playing professional hockey and being at Zynga, it, it's almost like I didn't really have the ability to have a difficult conversation because I was so used to sort of like more of this combat state. And I think if you want to do it inside of a team, yeah. You have to be able to do it, like you said, while still maintaining the relationship, right? Like while right. being able to respect, like keep that respect. Right. And but so this is also a point where you have to understand your situational context. Because at some companies, if you do have that direct conversation, you will get stabbed in the back. Oh. <laughs> you will get assassinated. Uh -huh. well. <laughs> Just to keep it real. This, this oh, conversation, yeah. we're all real. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. In fact, I often joke that I didn't choose to be an entrepreneur. I was, I had to become an entrepreneur because in the company I was working at after I left gaming, a hundred percent. I like, yeah. I empathize, uh, empathize with anyone out there who, who is in that type of culture. And, and I know this is skipping ahead, but I think if you're in a culture that puts too much of a premium on the emotional well-being of the people in their company, right? Which in in and I haven't I can't believe I've taken this long to reference it, but you should just go read the principles of product development flow, the book. It's the greatest book on product product management economics, okay? The 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 economic framework that improves the value of your company through numbers, right? That's mm -hmm. that's the the one side of the brain that you need to develop. The other is the the people side, but um, if you have a company that's emphasizing too much of this proxy variables of everyone being happy with each other and everybody being smiling and nice, 
which is it's obviously ideal to have if you can, but if they invalidate that too much and you say something that is against, that's going to make people feel upset, which I did. I I went in and basically told them to cut this thing that was like this like really fancy thing that they gave everybody. <laughs> I can't even go into it, but um, it was it was costing us like four percent on our yeah. overall margin, and we and um, I was like we should cut this thing, and it was like literally I had. It was as if I had slapped people across the face or something, and I really, I really, I really feel empath. I really have empathy for people who are in those companies. It's very difficult. That yeah. said, you have to kind of be able to motivate as well. But um, yeah. yeah, so so maybe we hard. should talk about that a little bit. Situational context, right? Because there are, like, for you to do so, a couple of things for you to do well at your job you should understand the type of company that you're working for. And while, while it's easy for us to say, you know, you should be able to have direct conversations. Again, you can get like, I, I got assassinated in my job for speaking truth, right? Because whereas in my philosophy, you know, I, I think it's very important. One of the most important skills for me is to be able to say, stop the train. There's a train wreck coming. If we don't do these things, we're going to be fucked. Here's the solution, but you know, let's address this problem now versus at some companies, it's like, you know, there might be a six hour meeting on, Hey, how do we, what's our story? What's our story? How do we, you know, let's only show these metrics and these, met and I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? That's bullshit. Fuck that. And then you get assassinated. Right? So like it, you, so be careful, like, so listen to us, but again, you know, be careful because like if you listen to us and then you get assassinated at your job, then, then uh, you know, yeah. don't, don't blame us. So you understand well, the culture you're working in because like some companies are going to be like what we're saying. Famously, Netflix, famously, Amazon, Tesla, not every company's like that. Well, I mean, I guess it since we are philosophers, I guess it begs <laughs> the question whether getting as I won't say assassinated, but getting kicked out of the company, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. For example, yeah. I spoke my mind at this company, and it was very clear to me that they did not value <laughs> saving money over over everyone feeling good and happy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ultimately, I got the meeting where the HR person was joining. You know, um, Terry's going to be joining us for this meeting um, <laughs> today, Brett. Okay. <laughs> I, I got that coming from being like top notch PM for another company and going to another one and getting the whole like Terry uh, is joining us here. I mean, it was very, <laughs> it was very alarming. <laughs> so. I, I guess the the philosophical side of me is asking the question whether or not, and, and here I am in a much better place. So I, I'm saying that because I think if alarms are going off in your head and you're saying, that's the company I work in, I think that you should ask yourself the next question, whether you are better at the political side of, of work or the product management economic side of work. And obviously, ideally, you're good at both. But if you're not, if you're if you're good at the economic side, which is where more of the money is can be made, then you want to go change jobs because you don't want to rely. You want your your career, the income, your your well being, your happiness, based off of the somewhat arbitrary perspectives of your coworkers, and per, because 
yeah, because it's just it's too risky. And that's why Zynga was great for me. And that's why I, I liked working there. And that's one of the reasons why I left to make my own thing is because at Zynga, they, they could quantify the value I created for the company. So regardless of what people thought of me, their perception of me, whether they like me or not, I could tell them I made this company a million dollars this quarter. I made them an okay. additional million dollars. Therefore, you should give me a raise, right? And so, yeah, I think that it's kind of okay to be there now. Like, don't just go and quit tomorrow and do a Jerry Maguire move. <laughs> but <laughs> because changing your culture is so hard. It's like the hardest thing. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I don't pretend like you can really do that. But if it's like that and bells are going off your head, you may want to be thinking about, okay, what's my exit strategy? How can I how can I basically build a career off of my ability as a product manager, create great profit for a company? Because man, that that's where the real money is. Right. That, that's where the, the but real- speaking to your point though, Brett, like I do think that the other thing that some PMs may not consider is the cost of working at certain types of companies. So if you are at one of these companies where, you know, you're not at, because so there, the vast majority of companies <laughs> like, there are a lot of companies that are more product oriented rather than organizationally oriented, meaning that, you know, they spend a lot of time, all this complexity, you know, random forest, blah, 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 uh, you know, multivariate testing, you know, uh, one arm bandit against the product. But then when it comes to the organization and the people and the processes, it's just like, oh, whoa, 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 let's not let's not touch that. Let's not try to put any effort improving the people or the processes or the organization. We're just going to put all our, all of our energy on the, on, on the product. And what I have seen are people who, you know, I felt had incredible potential, were incredibly smart, but they went to the wrong fucking company. And five years later, like, I've got a PM right now who I've been training for nine months. I, I, I would put him against anyone at many of the major game companies right now that have been working there for like five years. It's just like the potential to like work on a new game product, seeing all the problems, having an open culture, having me like fucking yell at you and just say, hey, no, this is wrong. So getting that continuous feedback is so much more valuable from a growth perspective than like, hey guys, well, shucks, we kind of screwed up. Let's just move on to the next thing. Let's not fix anything. No one has accountability. There's not going to be any transparency. Uh, I'm not going to give you any feedback. Just keep doing your shit thing, the, the shit way you're doing it, and fuck it, let's just keep going. And, you know, there's there's way, way different ways of putting in your 10,000 hours. There's a good way, and I'm telling you, there's a really, really fucking bad way. And a lot of people are doing it the bad way. So there is a cost. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we'll have to find, I'll have to just start disagreeing about some, some things, but I, okay, I, yeah, do, yeah, please. <laughs> I don't, I a hundred percent agree with this one. All right. So the other quote from the Nick Saban thing that I took from it was the outcome is a distraction to the process, right? So meaning, you know, the process people focus on the outcome and what you're saying is the product is the outcome, right? Yeah. And I do think that we overemphasize the focus on product and the, the, the outcome of it. And if you focus on developing your people and having a good process that's going to create the product or re- removing waste or some of these other things, all those things are interconnected and the product will improve because of it. 
And so uh, I, I agree. So even though most of the value is in the product, a lot of the opportunity is in the other stuff. So right. um, yeah, <laughs> picking, I mean, the, picking the right company to work at, I feel like is probably, is definitely the most important decision you make around, right. around product development. I mean, yeah. and again, particularly because I was just sort of alluding to it is, there's a lot of companies that call you a product manager and yet when you go there you're basically a project manager or a producer and in my mind the project manager is someone who is really a task focused person right yeah when is this going to be due tuesday okay is it done no okay that and then a producer is someone who's more opinion based right like i the voice of the player i i really feel like and these people add value but a product manager generally adds in terms of most companies makes more has more ownership um can generally create more value and has like i think more applicable skills elsewhere to other things like entrepreneurship I think they're all great, but I'm just saying if you want to be a product manager for your career, make sure that they define it as what I what what we're talking about as a product manager because you, you right. don't want to you don't want to be a product manager who really is a producer or a project manager. Right. Like, and, and maybe we could talk about that a little bit more. And I, I can kind of go over like what I've seen in terms of because I think the other thing to understand is that at different companies. You know, sometimes a producer is called a PM. Sometimes a PM is called a producer. Sometimes a product yeah. manager is basically we should just probably a, define a, that. a sequel we should monkey. Probably define that earlier. Yeah. But so, so here's what you'll likely see across the industry, and and, and there's kind of like this spectrum between, uh, first of all, from a scope perspective, and so depending on the company, you're going to see like the scope of your responsibilities be either narrow or broad, and so on two sides of the spectrum. You'll generally see at more of the startups and more of the smaller companies, more of what, you know, the compact cross-functional PM, meaning you're doing a little bit of everything, you're doing a lot, versus large and siloed, where, you know, it could be a company like maybe like an EA or maybe a Zynga or Scopely, where, you know, there could be, you know, in even like different kinds, like a revenue PM or a growth PM or a features PM or whatever with more narrow bands of responsibility and potentially being even more focused on a specific thing. Like, hey, you own, uh, you own you know, the, the user funnel or you own you know, like long-term monetization or whatever. So there's like that scope. And then you know, in some cases you're gonna have, uh, you know, Brett mentioned like 16 product managers. They probably were responsible for various, I, I would assume that they were responsible for various pieces of the game, right? Versus Having a buttons, small buttons, buttons, <laughs> like literally having a smaller team, you know, and where there might be a few PMs, but you've got larger responsibilities. And that's that's just difference. And like the other thing that you'll see in terms of like differences between a producer and a PM, for example, is like what is the what is your level of um, relationship with development? And so that in, in a traditional structure, the producer will be the one who interfaces with development right now in the, the you know, more the Silicon Valley style startup style or more the smaller cross compact cross functional teams. It might actually be the PM that works directly with engineering. But otherwise, it might be like like, let's say it's Zynga, you know, what I've heard and Brett, you could check me on this is that 
uh, a lot of PMs don't actually interface directly with engineering. They will, you know, own like, let's say the, the product backlog, uh, create like the, you know, uh, list of features, expected outcomes table and do the prioritization. And then they'll throw that to uh, uh, producers and the producers would then, then interface with engineering to do the execution of that stuff. And so from that perspective, in terms of like, you know, who, how you interface with the engineering, that's also another point of distinction between um, a lot of other uh, a lot of other companies and some of the differences that you you'll see amongst different companies. And so again, it just kind of depends in terms of where you orient yourself around. Like, is it important for me to understand agile, Scrum, like engineering processes and things like that? In some companies, as a PM, yes. In other companies. No. So again, going back to situational context, you should understand the kind of PM, the scope of responsibility and the kind of environment that you're going to be in uh, so that you can understand how to orient yourself and and develop your skills so that you could be you know, good at your particular job. Yeah, and I'm going to be the voice of Tabor here and okay. say you do not need to have a product manager. It's is you know, wild you know, for me to say. You, it was you know, wild I, for me to say. Yeah, having yeah. been like, I'm a I'm a PM like like fan, super fan. I read yeah, yeah. books on it, but you do not need to have a PM. But I do think that you need to have the PM capabilities being executed in your company by somebody, right? Yeah. And Tabor's and, whole point was, and I think he was, you know, and I said this in the podcast. I think he was leaning a little bit away from product managers because he had bad experiences with bad product managers, right? Like he, he, he hated product managers. Like we're not gonna have any product managers because I don't want to be, t- you know, I don't want people just telling me what to do. And I was like, it sounds like you had crappy product managers. It sounds yeah, like you don't yeah. want, it sounds like you don't want crappy product managers, which I totally get. Right. But if you, if you don't want to have product managers, like it's just a title, you, but you do need somebody who like I said from the beginning is going to be that voice of, uh, profitability, which not it isn't necessarily fun to be. I mean, I'm a CEO of a company, and it's like, yeah, sometimes I have to say things to people that like the difficult conversations. I'm even beyond that, right? I need to let people go. I need to change jobs completely. I need to change processes completely. I need to scrap projects that they've been working on for months. Like these are difficult things to do when you have an emotional attachment to humans like we all do, right? And, and it comes easier to some people and it comes easier over time, but you got to have something doing that, right? And whether it's a CEO or whatever, yeah. you know, it's just, it's an unfortunate part of business, right? It's like, ideally we could just make stuff that was fun and we all thought was, the, you know, like the, the most beautiful flower and whatever, but that that's just not how it works. You got to have someone to be like, Hey, how are we going to make money on this? How much is it going to cost? How risky is it? Who's going to buy it? How much is it going to buy it for? You know, like we can't build that thing. We do five iterations on it. Cause you want to make it perfect. Cause we got to get this out. We all got to get paid. We got to live. We got to feed our kids. You know what I mean? Like it come, kind of comes down to that. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think, I think this goes back to situational context, right? Because yeah. I mean, I remember having a talk with the, the guy, the, the two guys that made plants versus zombies. Right. And, Basically, like they, they had 
low low fixed costs you know they weren't in a rush to do stuff and so you know i was talking about how did you how did you build plants versus zombies they're like well we kind of built this little prototype then we just kept iterating on it and changing it refactoring it changing it refactoring changing it and at the end of this long process out pop plants versus zombies there's no product manager in that process you know what i'm saying <laughs> but they, they're, no. they're also in a different situation right like if, if, if you're a, a venture-backed startup and you yeah. got to hit certain targets, you better have a fucking PM. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, but you can apply the product development process to that, right? And mm -hmm. in product development flow, we can geek out on this, but there's generally certain economic objectives that you can focus on. Cycle time, product cost, product value, development expense, and risk are the five like most common. There are other variables too. And if you think about that example... You even alluded to some of them, right? They had low cost, so they they or they had low risk probably because they could go back to another job. So you already like you already checked off two. They did it naturally, right? And so the, what they focused on is product value and cycle time, right? You said they were iterative, so that's yeah. cycle time. So they kind of intuitively did it. If you if you went and took like sort of a classic, as I think of a classic PM, and brought them in. Like they wouldn't probably have changed much because they're saying, okay, well, we don't have risk here. We don't have cost here. We don't have, and we're doing iterative and, and we don't really know because we're creating completely like new product. So we got to experiment, like all these things, you know, and that's what I'm saying is as long as it's kind of getting executed either, either uh, like consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, somehow you do have it. And I'll give you an example. Like what I do is I realize that I am kind of a softy for people. Like I, I don't want to let people go. And it's kind of weird saying that because when people know about my company, they're like, well, but you do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, I do it all the time because it's very good for our, the economics of my business. That said, I don't like doing it. So I detach myself from meeting 80% of the people who join my company who are contractors, right? So it's a different, it's very, but it's, it's it's like something that I, I know is necessary to cre create good profit margins and it's totally like not a fun thing or anything I enjoy or want to ever do, right? So it's like this like conflicting thing that it's really good for the business. It's, it's really not something that you really love to do. And so how are we going to kind of like create a system that allows us to do it and stay profitable and kind of get around some of the humanistic side of thing, weaknesses in a way. I mean, they're really kind of weaknesses that humans have Right. Where when we when we get in there and we want you know, but I love this, you know, I love, and the players just want us to give them free free coins all day long. You know, it's like okay, I we get it, but we kind of need to we need to play by the rules of the game, which is we need to make more money than we cost. Right, and and maybe before I forget, I I also had you know you mentioned a good book in terms of for for PMs, and before I forget, maybe I should mention some of the books that highly influenced me, but um, I would highly recommend as a PM, you read, uh, first of all, Principles by Ray Dalio. That had a very significant impact on me in terms of thinking about systems and kind of structure and philosophy and, and ways of developing that kind of stuff over time. And so I highly recommend that book. There's also a book Let's called- Let's talk about that book for a second, actually, okay, before okay. you jump to the next one. Yeah. I love that book too, and I actually, he wrote a PDF. I don't know how it got on the internet, but I had that PDF uh, bookmarked on, mm -hmm. I can remember it was like Internet Explorer. So just to date, like when this, it was way before he wrote the book. I mean, I'm talking 10, 
12 years ago I, I read yeah. this and it blew my mind and I think when you say process if you haven't read the book I think people too generally think and particularly in America that that then that needs to be like robotic processing right like you take this thing and you type it on your keyboard whereas what Ray really talked about and what I, I've taken to my business and what I think you're talking about is it's almost like um, non-process oriented things having processes, right? Like you mm -hmm. talked about a little bit, like like liquid and grit. One of our hypotheses or processes is that we don't believe you can accurately interview, right? Like that's a yeah. that's kind of a statement that leads to a process that doesn't generally people don't generally think of being a process, right? Another one that yeah. you alluded to was that it's better for us to be completely honest, frank, and transparent to each other. That is a process that's been defined. It doesn't fit under the classic process definition, right? Where, okay, and then you hand in the paper and then you do, no, it's it, it, it's a little bit vaguer, but man, those things are so powerful because it, it's like no one wants to do it, but when you do it, it, it really opens up doors because you can build frameworks around it. And if you can all gather around this core hypothesis interviewing doesn't work or it's better for us to be frank then you can kind of build a culture or soften the, the negatives of it all these other things and man i am yeah i i can go down the line of my company and tell you the hypotheses that i have for that lead to the way that we do things right, right. and those are i i'm i really like that book um, too yeah. i'm a big fan Second book, uh, Extreme That's a definitely a warning one, though, JK. Like, okay. don't walk in tomorrow and go throwing out your, you know, viewpoints <laughs> at your company. <laughs> alert, alert. Right. So the, you know, the, the... <laughs> read that one and practice on uh, something that doesn't have as much risk, which is another, at the last thing I was going to say, huh? is good product management yeah. works for yourself in your career as well. Right. Yeah. Like if you apply the same principles to your own self, that's kind of why yeah, I started my sure. company. I like applied those same principles, which is like, what's my upside? Probably you too. It's like, what's your upside for your career? Right. What's your risk? What's your, you know what I mean? And the same thing is, is walking in tomorrow and taking, <laughs> reading Ray's book and walking in tomorrow and speaking your mind. Like that's pretty risky. Be careful of that one. Yeah. I think the second book I would recommend is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, who's like a retired Navy SEAL, but just the, the concept of owning problems and mistakes, there's a really great story that that's told in that, in, in that book about a boat race. And so basically the Navy SEALs had a boat race amongst a bunch of different teams. And basically what happened was they took the team that won and they took the, the boat captain from the team that won and they took the last place team, team boat six, and they swapped the boat captains. And then they raced again. And then the team that came in last place came in first place. And so like as, as a leader, I think you really have to understand like there's so much bullshit where leadership blames everyone else but the person they really should be blaming, which is themselves. And, and so I think that's a really important book from the perspective of understanding, you know, what is within your capability of changing and what, what should you be responsible for? 
And then um, a third book I would rec recommend is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. A little dated, but Ben Horowitz has a lot of like little um, anecdotes and stories about how to be successful as a CEO. And he was a, he was a very successful uh, CEO in his prior career. And maybe the, the last book I would recommend is Atomic Habits by James Clare. Just, you know, uh, thought it, we spoke about discipline, but ways in which you can actually try and um, improve yourself. How do you create habits that last, build discipline, building good habits as a product manager? And so I, I would definitely recommend those books. I don't know if you have yeah, any others I, to recommend. I've, right? I've read two of the two of the four, so I'll have to read. Uh, I think I've. I don't know if I've read Atomic Habits, but the Extreme Ownership one is definitely, I mean, I'm a big Jocko fan. In fact, I used okay. to listen to him like when I started my company and found yeah. it very, very insightful. And I, I think this is harder for, I mean, if you start your own company, it's like the best training yeah. ground for me because it's kind of funny. I have nobody to <laughs> complain to. Like, like I have no... I, there's no sympathy that I can receive because I have complete control over my entire company, right? right. Like if there's anything that bothers me, it's like, I tell my wife, she's like, well, why don't you just fix it? You know what okay. I mean? It's like literally that's the conversation I have every, I mean, I don't have it anymore because, and I think you, and I'll give a shout out to Pincus because I, I mean, I really loved a lot of the things that Pincus did. And he, he did that at, at Zynga. I can remember him meeting with all these product managers and one of them, said something about something he didn't like in the company and he just point blank turned to him and said you're a product manager at zynga i don't see any red tape buddy like why have you fixed it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like who i have never i've never told anyone that they couldn't do something in this company right like right. what what's stopping you from fixing why are you telling me that there's a problem that you want me to solve like, right. you're a product manager at zynga yeah and i, I really took that to the heart and it was amazing how much bonuses and uh, i got from i always call them pet projects each quarter i would do one thing that wasn't assigned yeah. to me yeah that i'd solve in the organization and my assumption was that if i didn't like it and it was always something i was passionate about solving because yeah. it was something that annoyed me it was amazing how many times i got pro like promotions and bonuses based on those things and they weren't even that hard to do right. it's like we it's like people just sit around and complain and it's like dude this thing probably would take like a week to fix and if yeah. you do everyone's gonna be blown away because nobody asked you to do it you know yeah. it's just like actually i should you know i actually wrote a blog post about that phenomenon that occurs where there's like people in the company who who i call whiners all they do is complain yeah. warners who like point out at least they point out problems and then, you know, the, the optimists who actually saw that stuff. But I also do think just, just to get back to like, if you want to be a great PM, I also think that, and this is, maybe this is controversial, but I, there's, there's two things that I learned when I went to, when I worked at Fun Plus and we launched this, you know, pretty successful game. And I learned it from both co-founders of Fun Plus and from Andy Zong, the CEO of Fun Plus. He taught me that actually optimism is really important. Like for you to believe in the product and for you to like try to infect others with optimism about being successful is really, actually, it's really fucking important. It's, it's really understated just how important that is. 
and then from Yitao, the uh, the other co-founder of Fun Plus, you know, I, I remember like I would be writing him some some emails or I'd be talking to him like this thing's fucked up, this thing's fucked up, this thing's fucked up, and he's like, okay, cool. And exactly to your point, like what Pincus told that PM, what the fuck are you gonna do about it? And then <laughs> so shifting my mindset to be more solutions oriented, like having more of a proactive filter, right? Okay, yes. Yes, we have these problems. You, you should identify those problems. But then is it constructive to just like whine and go on about the problem? Or, okay, here's a problem, here's a solution. Here's a problem, here's a solution. And so that was, if I'm being very honest about my experience at Fun Plus, those two lessons were the most valuable lessons that, that I took away. And before I forget, one last book, we were talking about Tabor. A really great book that he recommended, The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. Uh, and oh. football actually does, you know, sorry to some people who want more, you know, like whatever diverse world, but football actually has a lot of relevance as a performance-based sport to companies and startups. So there are actually a lot of lessons you can learn. And I, w I would highly recommend that book as well. Totally, yeah. Uh, I on that point, I think when I was managing product managers, I used to say PMs point out problems, senior PMs point out problems and propose solutions, leads point them out, propose solutions, and then solve them. And directors, 100%. directors, they don't even tell you about stuff. <laughs> it's already yeah. that whole process is already done. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that's that's really the evolution that you can have as a product manager, just trying to start thinking that way and, and just try to solve it on your own. Um, it's, right. it's not easy to do. What was, what was the other, the other founder story? There was, what did the first founder tell you? Cause there was something else I was optimism. going to say. Optimism. Oh, optimism. The other story I was going to tell about optimism. Yeah. I learned this early on in my career. So I, I leave professional hockey. I joined this startup and I, it's in the back of like literally faces a wall like the back of a real estate office it's in one room there's like seven of us sitting in a dark room and i was surrounded by the, the founder of it was who is now the ceo of bungie studios and was before that and now he's like on the board of bungie studios p parsons so he he's he helped create a little game called halo like this dude was legit and he was surrounded by these amazing developers and it, he was he didn't code he didn't design and i he was kind of a scatterbrain like he would be on like a little i can remember like a, a, a macbook air like typing on the ground like he wouldn't yeah. even be sitting in a chair with seven chats open like he had chat on with seven different people i mean just talking to him was like whoa dude are you even listening to me like what's going on right and i was thinking to myself when i first joined like how does this dude how do he raise money how does he have these amazing devs surrounded like in this dark terrible office and and I realized over time, this dude brought fun every single day to work. Every single day to work, this dude was fired up and hilarious and awesome to be around. I mean, the stories, the energy, the excitement, he brought it every single day. It wasn't like, oh, you know, my cat died. No, he, that dude, he came in and it was hilarious. And I realized that if you can bring it every day, like if you can bring that fun optimism that you're talking about, the energy... It's incredibly valuable because devs can pretty much work at any shop in in Silicon Valley, right? Like they can get they can get jobs, but if you can show up and be fired up every single day, and it goes back to the discipline, man, that 
that has a tremendous impact. Like people just want to be around you and you're like fired up. It's not easy to do too. People are like, oh, well, that's easy, Brett. It's not, dude. You got to, sh- I'm talking yeah. every day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that and I, dude, he right. did it. And, it was hilarious. And I think from my perspective, when I think about optimism, I kind of think about it in two ways. And so, you know, some people believe in manifestation and to, to some degree, I've kind of come to believe that too. But I also, in terms of belief, when you believe in something so much, I think your brain just kind of figures out a way. It just finds a solution somehow. And so, you know, whatever your your internal belief structure is, at least from my experience, I, I've seen that this this ha- this happens. The, the optimism, the belief, somehow, some way, however, however it happens, it just it works. <laughs> and yeah, maybe well, that, I, oh, go I, ahead. when I think oh, I mean, it reminds me of and, that, and this is why I think you need to be careful as a product manager not to spread yourself too thin and you really need to nail again i think this like defining of the pro uh, the product and the economic view of it because you get that optimism when you think about something and you know about something so well that it's it's kind of obvious that you're the one that is the expert on it and that doesn't mean that you need to be a know-it-all it actually allows you not to be a know-it-all because you have the confidence to hang your hat on this little aspect that it's a lot, it allows you to go, Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that because you're, you're still feel like the expert in it. Whereas when you're spread too thin and I feel like product managers sometimes glom on to making arbitrary decisions because they don't have anything to hang their hat on. They don't, they, they can't, they're not really bringing the spec writing. They're not really bringing the economic view. And so they, they kind of hold on to, well, I make all these grand decisions and it's like, no, you don't do like, you're just an opinion. Everyone's opinion is, moderately accurate but not that accurate and uh i think that's so important that's why it, it, it's really key that you kind of nail one of these things and and really own that um it kind of reminds me of my my company because like people will talk about my company and how it's built and it, it's not the most perfect company obviously but it, i think it's built very well for what we do and i'm like hey i'm not trying to like when they say stuff to me i'm not trying to be a jerk but i'm like i've literally spent I mean, thousands of hours thinking about this, like thousand, like you're coming in at hour three, right? It's like, yeah. you're talking to Tom Brady about, I'm not Tom Brady, but you're talking to like a <laughs> college level quarterback probably yeah. about football. And you've been playing football like in the backyard, you know, it's like, but I think if you talk to Tom Brady and brought something up, just like, I think Pincus did this too. You could email Pincus anything, right? Like, and a Pincus gets a lot of flack, but you could literally email that guy any point. And if it had data to back it up, he'd email you back in five, 10 minutes. And he'd call you in and you'd meet with him because he, he had the confidence. He's like, yeah, I know the process. I, I can hang my hat on this part. I don't care. I think, I think Brady would be the same thing. Like he wouldn't be a jerk about it. If you, if you ask him a question and they say that about Bill Belichick, it's like, you yeah. can bring something up to Bill Belichick. He's he'll consider it. He probably thought about it 20 years ago, but that's okay. Yeah. He's not going to like crap on you he's just gonna be like oh yeah okay maybe we'll think about that and they talk about that i mean dude i'm happy to bring in the football analogies here because i completely agree it's like that's why i love football because it's sort of like yeah. a microcosm of of business you can and you can yeah. kind of see things play out and you can learn things from it right yeah it's, it's like kind of yeah and maybe speaking to that i do think like like look whether it's football or whatever you can you can bring in lessons from anything you know there's like uh, I, I don't think it's 
Tabor, but you know, I actually really like the ATA guys because they, they are very philosophical, but I think uh, Josh, one of the lead designers, um, he also has a philosophy based upon cooking, which is, uh, I, I, he talked about like this maison plus, or I don't, I, I don't speak French, but like the, the whole notion of like, it's like when the cooks have all this shit, like all prepared, ready to go. And like that concept of as, you know, if you're working to have your work set up all fucking ready to go, like, you know, you're, you, you click a button, all your fucking tabs come up or however it is, whatever for, for your job, being able to get your work to be as automated, ready to go in place so that, you know, at like a, like a professional cook just kind of goes and all his shit's all laid out and he can just go like, that's a concept from cooking. And so while we draw concepts from football, cause that's kind of what we know, like draw your concepts and lessons from whatever the fuck is relevant to you. And there are lessons from literally everywhere, but I will say football is a little bit better for business. Just, just because, you know, there's teamwork involved, there's leadership involved, there's a lot more repetitions. So just like, you know, I, I would say even like investment, you know, so like professional, that's why there's so many lessons we can learn from somebody like Ray Dalio because you have faster iterations against investing in different companies versus an industry like ours where, you know, the cycle time might be a year, two years, three years for a game to come out. And so the lessons learned are generally slower. So get your lessons, get them from anywhere you can and don't be prejudiced, dude. I play fucking, you know, Match three games. I don't like them, but I study them. Study whatever you can. Get your lessons. All right. Maybe the next thing we could talk about, you know, we kind of alluded to this. We're going to keep going. We got, let's I think we're hitting going. like an hour at this. Let's keep going. We're going to go deep, dude. And we're, we're just going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to, we're writing the book on, on being a great PM. All but right. talking about company culture, what are some of the things that can go awry? And so maybe I, I can start like what I've seen, but when you don't have a good company culture in these type of cultures that lead to actually, yeah, you're going to become a shitty PM because you're in one of these cultures. I, I, I'll fucking say it. I, God damn it. But I would say one is where we talked about the importance of having real discussions where you know, if you can't have real discussions, then you can't get feedback, you can't improve. I think a second thing to understand is more around the ability to do root cause analysis. So how does that manifest? Well, basically, if there's a problem in the company, but because you know Ed is friends with Sally and you can't point out any problems with Sally. You can't do a true root cause analysis and get to like, hey, actually you fucked up here, you fucked up there, you know, the other thing kind of happened here. And if you don't have like a safe environment, but also have accountability and be able to trace things back, you can't have root cause analysis. And if you can't do the root cause analysis, then you're not going to be able to solve your problems. You're just going to be papering over it. And then the other thing is, you know, what kind of skills are you building? Are you building storytelling skills where you're like trying to dress up numbers and you get really great at making PowerPoint presentations that paint a rosy picture, but really you're just papering over problems. And like I said, are you solutions oriented or are you narrative oriented? You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're trying to convince management. Oh no, no, don't, 
worry, things are fine. Look, look, look at the the Western market tier one numbers from paid user acquisition. <laughs> you know, these numbers are great. But yeah, don't don't worry about all the other stuff. Fuck that, right? And so like, so that's another problem. And that kind of and maybe even tying this back to optimism, there is a difference between being narrative driven, telling stories, covering people's asses. That's very tied to what I call blind optimism. Hey, why are you being such a fucking downer? Don't don't like raise these issues or problems. You're not you're not being a team player. You're not being optimistic. No, 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 no. There's blind optimism, which is papering over problems and just fucking praying for some fucking miracle to come save your ass. And then there's practical optimism, meaning I know the problems and I know I can figure out a solution. Any any other thoughts on culture, right? I mean, it's. I think with with product development, product management, like we talked about, it's so unique to each culture, and I think definitely spending some time to figure out what it, what it is at your company is super important. But that that said, I think it's always and we've t we're. we're philosophers here jk but <laughs> yeah, i think that it, it's been a difficult road in my life to be almost 100 percent transparent in in many of the ways not 100 percent, very transparent and it, it certainly creates bumps but i think ultimately gets you to a a, a better place and and yeah. so i think that's really important where you know it's like well my my culture is not like that or blah, blah, blah. it's like well if you really believe in your heart that that's not a, a good thing, bring it up. And and I honestly think that even if you get like the, the worst reaction, which I have, that's that's a that's good for you because yeah. you got you need to know that. And I think I've in my life I've steered away from some of those conflicts and found that they come and bite you in the ass later on. And yeah, it's better you know, to just bring them up and and yeah. and face them earlier. Because it's kind of like product. It's probably kind of like mean lean methodology. It's it's yeah. kind of better to find out about the the, the defects in your your environment yeah. now than it is to find out later. But let, right? let me present an alternative perspective on this, which is I actually think in a lot of companies, no one will ever have those conversations. And why? Because, like, if you're just working at a company, and especially if you're like work, working on a a product that's already kind of profitable and and whatever. Like, what incentive do you have to have those hard conversations? You know, one of our advisors is um, a guy by the name of Christian Sigerstall, very successful entrepreneur. And one of the things that he advised me about is like, for a lot of the startups that he's worked with, they have had like a, what he calls come to Jesus moment because, you know, they're running out of cash, fucking a lot of problems happen. And then they have the hard conversations, right? Like, so there's one kind of pr potential perspective where, you know, if you're at a large company, I don't know if you're ever going to have those hard conversations because unless you're facing death, like you're, you're staring death in the face and it's like, God damn it, either I have this conversation or we're going to fucking die, right? Like, I actually don't think for at a lot of large, you're working at Facebook or Google, why would you ever have that conversation? So I, I guess I'm just presenting this alternative view. Yeah, it's easy for me to say, you know, hey, you should have that conversation. 
but I think it's, you know, part of it is personality. Part of it is also situational. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're at yeah, a, yeah. you're, you're live operating a profitable game. You're just, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of doubtful. Some people are ever going to have that conversation. Uh, see, I, I think, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you have to, I mean, I, I think you, you, <laughs> if you want to be successful, I mean, I, my, I don't know why I've always felt this way in life, but it's like, I always feel like this shadow is, is running after me and it's this shadow of people saying, well, that's life, Brett, you know, you got to get a job where you don't like, and you got to do this and you got to have meetings and, um, you're going to have to drive to work and you're going to have to fucking have one-on-ones and just a list of those, you know, and you're, you're, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to be able to like, it just. I just heard that so often and I was like, fuck that. Fuck you and fuck that that narrative. Yeah. It, but the only way that I've been able to achieve not having those things happen to me is working really hard and being able to kind of like face those difficult conversations in the face, either yeah. in, in my own face or like, like, you know, like looking in the mirror and going, is this really how I should live? Or in someone else's face <laughs> and being like, yo, this is whack. You know what yeah. I mean? And and seeing the reaction and the reaction being, well, you're out. And and for me, it's like, okay, well, I guess then I got to go start my own thing because I had the conversation about what I thought was right and the person kicked me out and what do I do now? And so, and I, and I think it's, it's like, it, this is a Jocko thing. It's like, you got to be careful about those those little things like because they creep up on you it's like you do it for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden you get comfortable at big company and they're paying you dollars all of a sudden a couple of weeks is a couple of months all of a sudden you're there for what two years all of a sudden you're making the equity oh they gave me a little more stock and i say all of a sudden you're 35 you're 40 you're 45 wait a minute what now i'm making a good money I can't do anything else oh shit my you know that was it yeah. that's it and so uh, i think you got like uh, people will write two paragraphs of my company and I'll be like, yo, too long. I'll literally email. I'll be like, yeah, email is too long. And then they've got to be reading it thinking, what is this jerk talking about? He, we are only 45 people. Like he's probably not getting that many emails, but for me, it's just that slippery slope. You got to be so on. So you have to, I should have said this at the beginning, but it's like, you have to place a lens of intensity on things that don't seem intense. And it's weird for people. Like, I, it's kind of how I live my life. And people, a lot of times, like, in some aspects, people are like, why do you care so much? Like, chill out. And I'm like, yo, I, you have to place this lens of intensity on things that aren't <laughs> intense so that you don't have to have that conversation, the, the come to Jesus conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so strict on things in my company. People are like, why, why are you, you know, relax? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to relax. I don't want to have that come to Jesus conversation. I'm having that right now on this thing that seems totally irrelevant, dude. You know? So, I don't know. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up this conversation with one last topic, which is more around common mistakes. And so, you know, we've, we've both been in the industry for a while. We've seen a lot of common PM mistakes. And so, for you, Brett, what are some of the common mistakes that you see, like, young PMs make? time and time and time again and even the senior guys make time again <laughs> <laughs> i mean don't fucking lead with your opinion i do not want i always said pms i do not want to hear you start a sentence with i think like fuck your thought i don't give a shit like we don't need another opinion we have developers who can code we have for 
like producers who can think we have pro- like project managers who can, like we don't need an opinion it's okay to add your opinion after you establish the value that you created to it right and it's it's okay to 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 say it within a context of of a framework or or a guess around something that you're saying well i think that they're going to like this right like and these are the reasons why but don't do that. That's the, that's like that thing I couldn't stand. I mean, we already talked about don't be a project manager. Uh, like, don't don't just react to everything and think you're super sweet because you're answering all these questions. Like, that's that's a no go. And I would say spend time learning people and human stuff because if you're in a larger business, that is super important. I think it's it's very it's a lot less important actually as an entrepreneur i know people like talk about that but i think you you can you have so much more ownership as an entrepreneur that i think it's less important honestly like i I don't think that you have to be i I mean there's just so many examples of people who are the biggest assholes being super successful that i just don't think it's important in fact in some ways it's probably bad right like i mean i don't want to list people on this podcast but there are plenty of legendary people that sounds like they were kind of a huge asshole right and they were certainly successful so if you're gonna be if you're gonna go the career track get that whole human interaction down i never got it down so don't listen to me about how to do it but um yeah that one's important yeah Yeah, i would say from my perspective like common mistakes is like not one just kind of like getting lost in details not seeing the forest from the trees and that not only applies to product but that also applies to your career and yourself and so like whether it's developing some kind of framework or an operating system for your career, for your, for your future career path, but understanding where do you want to go from here, from here and how do you get there, right? What does that plan look like? I think a lot of PMs generally just tend to just turn their crank and just kind of do what they're doing, but they don't have a plan for how they get better. Now, like part of one of the things that we do and I, I would recommend for other people is to develop something that I call a skills development matrix, which really like breaks down. If you want to be a great product manager, here are the areas of skills. Here's kind of your assessment. Here's where, what you need to do to kind of get there. Uh, so I would recommend that. Um, also just thinking too small, like, you know, uh, should this button be green versus blue or how about you introduce a completely new feature or you kind of blow up existing feature, like, like thinking bigger, to try and you know really move the needle rather than looking for these small incremental improvements. It's like, oh shit, we ran the A-B test again and actually flipped. You know, it's like you're thinking way too fucking small. Um, I would also say the inability to prioritize appro- appropriately, right? And so like I, I think it's very important because even as in a larger company, you don't have infinite resources. So understanding again, going back to basis of competition. And understanding like what are the things that are going to move the needle the most and then being able to prioritize resources against you know whether it's uh you know eo framework or ice rice or however you want to do it but being able to prioritize and probably um, a couple two more things one would just be like people who do a lot of things around the root cause rather than really addressing actually focusing on the root cause and then getting to, to to problems and I don't know, maybe probably the last mistake I would say is, we already talked about a couple of times, situational context, right? Just understanding, can I apply this to my current situation? Can I apply this thing over here to my current situation? Everybody's always running around with their hammers, right? And so like, um, 
just just understand when and how to apply things and that usually comes with depth and that's and so situational context understanding situational context is tied to depth so like if you're like well you know we should be using jira instead of asana here and you know and i ask you why and you tell me you've never actually tried asana then i'm going to go tell you to go fuck off because like that's what happens a lot. Well, why are you doing this? Well, I use it at my other company. Not fuck you. Go study all of them and tell me why. Do you even understand the metaphors of these different PM tools? Do you understand these things at a fundamental level so that you can do the situation? You can be able to understand situational context. Yeah. All I right. want to add one last one. La all one right, last one I it. thought of. Sorry that I should have added. Because I think this is the counter to what I've been talking about. Is it's it's okay to have less than perfect systems so or numbers or, or any of these things. And, and I think what I'm seeing in the market, and we talked about this probably last week, JK, is that if people don't think it's 100% accurate, they'll just basically rely on their intuition, right? Like, well, we don't yeah. know if this is the right um, – like, like with that tool that we built to look at average revenue, it's like, well, it's not 100% accurate. It's like, well – what do you use it now? Well, nothing. Okay. Do you want to know that every single mission feature release has been negative for the last two years? Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Well then, yeah, sure. This isn't, this isn't the thing that just shows you the way. I think the same thing goes for operations and product development and all these little things is it's like no one wants, if it's, if there's nothing there, it's, it's like they're scared to even start and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. these things, they, they happen over time. You chip away at them. It's like, okay, well, we, a known entity, for example, is the cost of an additional week of development time. That's a known entity. Let's use that to make some decisions. Okay. And yeah. then we release a couple of features. Okay. Now we're learning that these type of, you know, start building and, and, and it'll start forming. And as you get at each one of those little data points, will get your, your system more and more accurate and more and more valuable. But don't just go, well, we don't have anything, so we're not going to fucking start. You know, yeah, or, or just, it's too just... expensive to run this to stat sig, then it's as well, just do the best you can. Yeah, <laughs> at least you get just, have some indicator. Just look <laughs> at whatever you know and then build yeah. a build a sensitivity model around the known and the unknown. Which yeah. um yeah. So <laughs> there's so much. There's uh it's an awesome it's awesome being a product manager, man. I miss it. But yeah. I feel like I am kind of <laughs> one right now, so it's like it yeah. doesn't really bother me. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's it. Kind of a long conversation on how to be a great product manager. Hopefully that was helpful to you. And we have episode one of Philosophy Fucking Friday complete. There we have it. That's a wrap. Hopefully we'll catch you all later another time if we didn't insult you guys by now. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>